New friends, new opportunities, new partners. Hey, everybody, this is the Tax Lady. I'm Esther Golias, the Tax Lady. Hey, thanks for listening to our podcast. Um, every week we come on, talk ab- about taxes and things. We're kind of marching through the tax return so that if you're following along, I'm sure there's things you've picked up. And I'm joined in studio this week with Chris Fabian. Hey, Chris. Hello, Esther. Hello, Chris. All right, so this time I thought we'd talk about rental property. And I think that's really important because there's so many nuances involved with rental property. It isn't just a plain old uh, listing of expenses on the Schedule E. Right, Chris? Right, right. There's so much that gets involved in rental property. People, you know, it, 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 you know, people think it's going to be so simple, and it's not because you got to look at personal use, uh, fair rental value. You, you know, are you actively looking for rentals? Are you, you know, are you running it like a business? A business, exactly right. And because I think that rental property can be managed in, in by mom and pop, that sometimes we take and we look at it like it isn't for profit motive, that it's just mom and pop's property and they kind of just let rent, rent it out to Aunt Susie and that's cool. But it really isn't cool, is it? No, no, because it's different. Different usage means different ways on a tax return, how it gets treated. And So your Schedule E is where you report rental income. The first thing your rental has to be is rented at fair rental value. In other words, the IRS is not going to subsidize, and I'm not on the IRS's side, I'm just telling you the truth. The rent the IRS is not going to subsidize your Aunt Lucy living in your apartment when you're not charging her and treating her as if it's a business. So that's okay. You can let Aunt Lucy stay in your apartment all day long at no charge. The trouble is, they're just not going to let you take the expenses for for the for the property because you're it's personal use. Right. So right. you can take the property taxes and the mortgage interest, but that's it. Right. Right. And it also goes to maybe you're charging Aunt Susie four hundred dollars or two hundred dollars instead of a thousand dollars. You know, that's what we mean by fair rental value. If every if the apartments by you or houses by you are going for a thousand, you have to charge right around a thousand dollars. You have to charge fair rental value. If you're given a discount because it's that little old lady who's been there for twenty years, or it is Aunt Susie and you're giving them a break because, you know, that doesn't count. You cannot take a loss on your tax return. But of course, it's your place. If you want to do it, at, if you want to give them reduced rent, that's great. But it's not a business. Therefore, your expenses are going to be limited or not deductible at all. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, do you actually manage the property? Right. Or, right. Do you, or you gave it over to a management firm and you said, don't ever talk to me. I don't want to know nothing. Just send me my check every month. Because they look at rental property, unlike when you're self-employed. When you're self-employed, you have to pay your own FICA on your net profit. But on rental properties, you could have 30 or 40 rentals and you get a nice net profit, but you're not paying FICA on it because they don't think that it's at it, that it's actually performing a service like if you were self-employed this is this is considered passive income even though if you're a landlord sometimes you're out there picking up the garbage you don't feel like it's very passive but for tax law it's considered passive income 
right, right. I mean, could you imagine if they actually passed a law where it said, like, businesses, if you don't have a profit to, uh, three years out of five, you can't take it anymore? That's How true. many people wouldn't do rental properties? That's true. That's true. And, but the thing is, oftentimes when you take a look at your Schedule E, though, if you're making a small profit, then you take your depreciation. That's what's causing the loss. The loss, which is then a problem when you go to sell it, because a lot of people don't realize that when you sell your rental property or you sell any depreciable asset in the year of sale, it becomes a problem. And how would that be, Chris? Well, because you have to, what the IRS terms it as is, um, Oh my gosh. Recapture. Thank you. Recapture the <laughs> depreciation, which means you bought a house for a hundred thousand, you depreciated it down to forty thousand, you sell it for a hundred and fifty thousand, you're gonna pay tax on the difference between one fifty and forty for a total of a hundred and ten thousand dollars. You gotta pay tax on not the fifty thousand dollar gain. The whole thing because you systematically was writing off the the depreciation, which every year it brought it from a hundred thousand down to ninety-seven thousand, down to ninety-four thousand, and so on and so forth, until it gets down to where it was now. So think about this: if you bought something thirty years ago for a hundred thousand, and you've depreciated it all down except for the land value, and you sell it for two hundred thousand, you have almost a $200,000 gain, except you get to reduce it by your expensive sale. And that's what people don't understand. All this rental income that you're getting, all these systematic write-offs of the depreciation in the year of sale becomes effectively income or right. reduces the ba cost basis. Um, and, and so in that year of sale, it can be a real problem. Now, I had a doctor who was had depreciated their they had a rental and in the year of sale, they decided to do a 1031 exchange. That is a way kind of to wiggle out of paying all the taxes, right? Right, right. So you, you basically say, I don't want my house in Buffalo. I want a house in Florida. So you exchange your house for that house in Florida. And it's not like, oh, Esther, I want your house here and you want my house in Florida and we flip-flop houses. That's it doesn't not, work like that's that. That's not like that right. at all. It's different parties in both transactions, but you use a licensed mediator who handles the sale of your house. They, The mediator holds on to your money. You never receive it. And then he uses your funds to buy your other property. So, so let's kind of take the mechanics out of it. Let, let's say, for instance, here in Western New York, somebody has a, a $400,000 piece of property and they say, you know what, we're leaving Western New York, we're going to Florida. So they take that $400,000 piece of property and list it for sale. Okay. They then have somebody that would like to buy it. In the meantime, they contact an exchanger and say, you know what, we'd really like to exchange this property for and, and avoid paying the taxes. Right? right, because if the gain was four hundred thousand at twenty percent with the state of New York, they're paying about ninety thousand plus in taxes. Correct. Right. Yep. So then they find that piece of property in Florida that they would really like, and and the exchanger then takes title to the property that's getting sold and the property that they're acquiring, and. I don't know what they do if they do a little dance, <laughs> do a little song, do and, a little and dance. they and they basically exchange it. The seller doesn't feel the difference 
and the buyer doesn't feel any difference. It's just done by the exchanger and no money's exchanged, but the, then the, um, the, the gentleman from West or couple from Western New York then now have the property in Florida without paying taxes. Right. So you have, like Esther was saying, the $400,000 gain, you buy the house in Florida and it's 500,000. You start running it out. You don't get to rent it at the 500. You don't get to start depreciating at the 500. You take the gain of 400. It reduces the cost of 500 by that 400 and they start depreciating at a hundred thousand. So until they sell that house in Florida, would they not pay tax? And if they're really lucky, they die. They die. <laughs> <laughs> now, why would that be something? Why would that be something good? Because then the beneficiaries, the heirs, get the stepped-up basis. So they, we'll say ten years later, the house in Florida is now worth seven hundred thousand, and they want to sell it. The person passed away. It was worth seven hundred. They sell it for seven twenty. They only pay tax on a twenty thousand dollar gain instead of six hundred and twenty thousand. Right. So that's what people don't understand is that I just had a situation this this morning where um, an heir called the the their aunt is ready to pass away. They're going to be the only heirs, and they said, "Should we hurry up and have her?" sell give us the car should they we hurry up and have her give us the house before she dies and i said no you want to inherit it and they said but there's inheritance tax no 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 you got it all wrong if you inherit a piece a cap a piece of capital asset then the fair market value on the date of the death of the person that gave it to you that's what they say you paid for it if they give it to you, it goes all the way back to the donors with the donor paid for it, plus their improvements. Right. So, no, you don't want that. Now, the inheritance tax is a tax that somebody, when they pass away, if they have an estate worth over $21 million, then the they would pay taxes, estate taxes. That has nothing to do with in, in, what we're talking about. Right, right. I mean, it, it's very... It's confusing. It's very, you know, tax law, dying, everything involved in taxes is not simple black and white. Not at all. Not at all. And that's why listening over the fence post to somebody that says, make sure you hurry up and transfer that car in the house right away. No, 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 no. The best thing to do in this situation would be to have it go through the inheritance. They inherit it and then they sell it at a stepped up basis. They're not going to pay tax. They're not going to pay many taxes, if any taxes at all. Right. And then it also, you go by the life estate. People put houses in life estates. Right. And that's another good thing. Another good thing. As long as they they die before the house is sold. I hate to say that. It sounds so morbid. But because if they... But that's the reality. You know, they always say that death and taxes go hand in hand. And it is true because so much of the planning has to do with... If you're, if many people want to put things in trust to make sure that their heirs have the the money in the event something happens to them, they got to go into a nursing home, and that's where you really want to make sure that you're talking to somebody competent. Your neighbor over the fence is not who I would be talking to unless they're an estate attorney who knows what they're talking about. 
Right. And they probably wouldn't be talking to you over the fence. <laughs> no, they'd be getting their stopwatch going. Okay. That's right. You go. <laughs> this is $300 a minute here. So, but it's very important. So getting back to our Rentals. our rental that started off in Buffalo for 400 that then exchanged it for a place in Florida for 500 they they put an extra 100,000 into it and then sometime later it was worth 700,000 if they gifted it to their children before passing away then the the children's basis would be almost nothing and they would end up paying the whole almost yep. the whole $700,000 in taxes if however the this couple dies then the kids get it at the stepped-up basis, and they don't pay any taxes or very little. Right, right. I mean, it, and it comes into play too, even with husbands and wives, where maybe it was the husband's house, the rental house here, and then the husband passes away. Well, then the, she gets a half step. She up gets basis. well. She gets the whole stepped-up basis yeah. if it was only his. Right, house. that's true. So, I mean, there's a lot of different things to, to look at and what to do. Should you put both people's names on it? Should you only put one person? Should, you know, when somebody gets married for the second time and it's later in their life, do you really want to put the other person's name on all the assets? You know, because of tax planning, you really got to look at everything. Absolutely. So... So with rental property, you want to make sure that you have a fair, mar- that fair mar- market value, that you understand that that the expenses are deductible because it's a business. You need to act like it's a business, which would mean you, you know, you should really keep your receipts and post your the the deposits that you get and keep track on a, a timely basis of all of your expenses and all of your income, and that's done on a schedule a schedule E. Now, if your income exceeds $150,000, you're not allowed a loss because that's the way the law was written. And so your losses are suspended until you get rid of the property, unless... Unless your income drops under the 150 Or... You're a real estate professional. Oh, you're a real estate professional. But that doesn't mean, oh, I'm I we make two hundred thousand. Let's not keep track of all of our expenses. No, you want to keep track of all your expenses because you want that loss to, to carry keep, forward. To keep building and building. Because then when you go sell that property, you can use those losses to offset the gain. Right. So because you get to claim those losses in the year of sale on the Schedule E. So if you sold like that, going back to that property, $400,000 property gain, say you have a $200,000 loss carry forward, you sell it, you have a gain of 400000 that helps reduce the 200000 loss helps reduce your income by that. So Absolutely. your taxes are going to be very, not minimal, but they're going to be cut in half. That's right, which is a lovely thing. The other thing is we want to talk about with, with real estate, uh, rental property, think about making it a limited liability uh, rental property so that in the event that you know that we live in a liturg- litigious society and God forbid somebody comes over for dinner at your uh place uh as uh with with the tenant invites them over for dinner they fall down the stairs and they sue the owner if you have a limited liability company then all they can take is the fair market value the the asset value of that rental as opposed to all of your money right and ll and it's very easy to do the limited liability companies yep yep you want to 
I always say call a lawyer to do it. Make sure it's done right. Right. You want to make sure it's done right. But if you have... Uh, if you have many properties, you want to make sure that you do your limited liability company on these properties so that each property stands on its own and it it in the event that anything happens, that your assets are protected. That's what's so important. Right. And I mean, if you have five rental properties and you put them all under one LLC, if somebody slips and falls, they could get all, all five. five. So that's where Esther's saying, make sure you have multiple LLCs right. to cover all your properties. Absolutely. Because it is a business. It is yep. a business. That's the way you ought to look at it. This is not just renting to Aunt Lucy. This is a business, and that's where that's where your head has to be kind of uh, grounded. The other thing I want to talk about when you talk about real estate is your personal residence. You can sell your personal residence every two years if you're living in it. Uh, if you're living in it as your personal residence, two out of five years, and the gain up to 250000 if you're single, up to a half a million if you're filing a joint return, is, get this, tax-free. <laughs> tax-free. You can make up to a half a million dollars every two years tax-free. There's not anything else in tax law I can think of like that. No, no. You know, people talk <laughs> about tax shelters. That is a big tax shelter right there. I mean, two fifty single, five hundred thousand dollars married joint. You know, okay. So, what are you going to do? You know, with housing market going crazy right now. Okay, so you made a hundred fifty thousand dollar profit. Most people are going to go. Well, I'm going to put that at brand in new house. Well, buy a fixer upper, and then fix that one up. Make another big profit. Right. I mean, you don't have to keep upgrading your house, you know. As a matter of fact, many people say to me, well, if I sell my personal residence, how long do I have to buy another one? You don't. Yep. You don't. You don't have to buy another one. You can go on a cruise to China or wherever. I mean, you don't have to buy another house. But the thing is, it's so important for you. In order to make a plan, you have to think about this, these things. It is a great opportunity right now to make money like you never had before. One of my clients is in Florida, and he and his wife bought a house for $450,000. And then she didn't like it, so he turned it into a rental. Then they went up the street, and they bought a house for $650,000. And and then he bought another villa in that same complex for like 400000 Well, what happened to the real estate market, that first house that he paid like 450000 he sold it for $900,000. Then the second house is personal residence. They sold it for $1.2 And the third house, they sold for like 600000 They made over, and this is over a three-year period, they made well over a million dollars. But in the middle of it was their personal residence where the gain up to a half a million is tax-free. Right. So, so they're. Ha I mean, I haven't finished their tax return yet. They're going to be sad, but not as sad as they would have been. <laughs> That's where you got to say, "This is what it is." But this is what it, it could have been. been, right? Like, Absolutely. Oh. Absolutely. So that's the important thing to know. Real estate has got some phenomenal tax breaks in it. Yep. I mean, there's so much to do, so much to look at. I mean, and that's, you know, not just real estate, but people, they shouldn't be doing things without knowing ahead of time. Absolutely. Tax Knowledge planning. is power. Yep. I mean, how many, how many people do you know that go into the stock market not knowing 
how the stock market works. And and they're buying and selling that same stock over and over again. And they think they get to claim a $10,000 loss. But in essence, they claim nothing because they did wash, wash sales. sales. Right. Absolutely. Well, anyway, I'm Esther Goyas, the tax lady from EG Tax. Um, if you ever have any tax questions, you go to our website, ask the tax lady. You can call any of our uh, 30 plus offices, talk to people, uh, our, our corporate staff, our, our staff in our, any of our branch offices. We want to help you. EG Tax is there for you. You don't have to be in Western New York for us to do your return. You can send it over. We have a, a great portal that you can upload your documents to. We can help you. And remember, we only have 30 days 30 days and 33 days until the end of tax season. And of course, Tuesday, uh, the 15th is corporation and partnership deadline. So yep. get those in too. Until next week, I'm Esther Goldius, the tax lady with Christopher Fabian. Thanks for listening. New friends, new opportunities, new partners, EG Tax.